Well, good evening. Um, it's great to see you um, here today uh, on this Wednesday evening, as Ed said, in the middle of August, just about. And if you've been with us um, on these summer nights, we are looking at this theme of walking with Jesus. And I wonder, how is that going for you? How is it going, walking with Jesus? How has your August been so far? Has it been a good time to get a break? Maybe a chance to do some light summer reading, perhaps? Or maybe you are still stuck at work and find it a bit frustrating everyone else is away and you get those out-of-office emails all the time. But whatever your August has been like so far, I hope uh, this will be a time of deepening our walk with Jesus, whatever life is like for us. And for me, um, myself, I had the privilege just a few weeks ago of going on holiday um, to Croatia with my wife's family. Um, very nice, relaxing time the pool and the sea and all that, and also a chance to do some reading. Um, and I've recently been reading this book, I just finished it a few days ago, um, by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies, which you may have heard before. And it was great, very helpful, um, also very challenging as well. Uh, the focus of the book, the summary of it, is how we can fight, uh, fight the war for our souls against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So a bit of light reading by the pool uh, in Croatia. And, um, but I did find it deeply transformative, and just a little warning, you're going to hear a bit of that book coming through um, today. At the end of the book, he, um, John Mark Comer, he, he talks about this, in this age of self-fulfillment. That's what we're all about. And there's this quote he has where we equate feeling good with being good. And I think we can all resonate to a certain extent with that. That sense of we want to fulfill and satisfy our own desires. We want to feel good about things. And I want to have you know, security about my future. I want to prioritize comfort. I want all these things first before anything else. And Jesus knows that. And he, Jesus, in this passage, he offers us something radically different that is deeply fulfilling, but by a whole other different route, the way of the cross. And I wonder if you notice to start this passage, the sort of where they're going, where is Jesus going? It says, as um, Jules read it earlier, it says they are on their way up to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is going. He's, he's on this journey, and he's teaching his disciples that, and those who, all those who are following him as he leads the way. And so what we're doing in this little series in summer nights, so we're walking with Jesus, going through this journey through Mark 10. So he's going to Jerusalem. And why is he going to Jerusalem? Well, we see that here in the passage. He knows exactly why he is going. He's going there to die. Let me read it again now, and let's see what he says about how he's going to die. He says they were on their way up to Jerusalem, Jesus leading the way. The disciples were astonished, and those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside, and he told them what's going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, the Son of Man, that's a way of referring, Jesus referring to himself. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, teach of the law. They'll condemn him to death. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, who will spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Wow, I wonder how you would feel if you heard that, if you were walking with Jesus and he turned around and said that to you. Did you realize that was where you were going on your journey with Jesus? Do you realize you were going to the cross? And I wonder, do we know where Jesus is leading us? I've had to ask myself that question. Where is Jesus leading me at this time quite recently? And for some of us, it might be, it could well be foregoing status or reputation or worldly success. And if we're honest, the thought of walking with Jesus to the cross 
It might not feel like the most exciting prospect, particularly in August. We're on a bit of a break, don't we? But this is actually the third time in Mark's gospel already that Jesus told his disciples he's going to die. It starts in Mark chapter 8 was the first time. And immediately following Jesus predicting and telling his disciples he's going to die, he, he has this line that you may well be familiar with, where he turns to the crowd and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves, they must take up their cross, and they must follow me. So how does that make, you feel, how does that make us feel? We're going to think about that today. What is it like to, to walk with Jesus to the cross? The cross, that place of shame, that place of being mocked, of humiliation, even torture and death. And then my first feeling, for me at least, is one of fear. I don't know about anyone else. Anyone else kind of reluctant to follow Jesus in this way? Well, I don't think I'm the only one. And John Mark Comer, he puts it like this. Why do we have this gut level, this inner resistance to Jesus' call? And it's not necessarily because we're evil or narcissistic, although I suppose it, it could be. But what John Mark Comer says, it's, it's primarily because we are scared. We're scared of losing something we value, something we think or feel that we need to live a happy life. We think we know the way to a happy life, and we don't think that is the way. If we're honest, I know my fear can come from cowardice. I resonate with what Jules said about feeling like we're a bit of a feeble Christian. We don't want to lose face. We fear losing popularity. I remember at university, from the very first weeks I was there, being peppered with the questions as soon as they found out I was a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. They the mocking and the teasing that followed. They thought it was so weird. I hadn't had sex before. I wouldn't have sex until I was married. But they couldn't understand it. The jokes that came. The subtle digs constantly. And I really struggled during that time to walk with Jesus. I think we're happy when Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you're weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. But what about when Jesus says this? Whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross. And follow me. We tend to shirk back from that, not realizing that actually taking up our cross is the way to that deep rest, that deep fulfillment that Jesus offers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who lived during the Second World War, strongly resisted Hitler's regime. He summarized Christ's message in this way, and this applies to all of us. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Bonhoeffer was later actually martyred by the Gestapo, for Bonhoeffer and many others around the world, as Ed alluded to earlier, many of our brothers and sisters around the world. This is not just metaphorical, it's not just symbolic to bear our cross. This is literally their reality. And they have a lot to teach us about what it means to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. And we're going to see a little later, a little clip about what it means to be a Christian in Afghanistan. But even though in this country we might not face death for following Jesus, that doesn't mean that Jesus is the following Jesus is easy. doesn't mean it's necessarily straightforward in our context, in our society. Jesus made that clear elsewhere in the other Gospels, in John's Gospel, makes it very clear. If the world hates me, keep in, keep, if the world hates you, sorry, keep in mind it hated me first. And we're seeing this more and more in our society, that hatred coming in subtle or sometimes not so subtle ways. But the question for us today is, will we keep following Jesus? even when there's opposition, even when there's the mocking and the hatred of the world, whatever that looks like for us? Or will we just follow our fears and cave in to the pressure to conform 
to be liked, to be admired, whether that's at work, in our family, our friendship group, whatever context that is. Well, let's look again at Jesus' words and what he has to offer to us. Because Jesus is very clear what he is saying, where he is going. And I wonder if you noticed there are seven things that Jesus said, seven things that will happen to Jesus. If you look again, um, either in church Bibles or up on the screen, Jesus says, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is going to be delivered to the chief priest, the teacher of the law. So the first thing, they're going to Jerusalem, he's going to be handed over to the authorities, delivered over to the authorities, totally sort of in their hands, as it were. And so what will happen to him? And there's seven things that he says are going to happen. First, they're going to condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles, they're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So do you see those seven things? Condemned, hand over, mocked, spat on, flogged, killed, and rise again. Seven is that number of completion in the Bible, like seven days of creation. And all these seven of these things, the first six in particular, excruciatingly painful before the seventh one of rising again to new life. So why, why did Jesus have to spell it out like that? in a really detailed way. Well, he tells us that for many reasons, but primarily it's because it's, he's done it for us. He's died for us. Isn't that amazing? He did all of these things, all this pain, this heartache, separation from the Father for us. And so we're only going to be able to walk with Jesus, overcome our fears, when we realize that Jesus has been to the cross for us. And Jesus, he's explicit about these things. I think... I think there's a couple of reasons perhaps why he is, and maybe more that I'm not aware of. But firstly, I think it's to show the certainty of what's going to happen. So the disciples know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to, that's why he says, you know, four times that word will comes up. They will condemn him. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, and so on. And he will rise again. So it's will happen. He's very certain about that. There's a certainty there. But I think there's more than just certainty of what's going to happen. I think it's shown us this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to walk with Jesus, the one who was humiliated and condemned for us. But did you notice that two of those seven are actually almost the same thing, but described in different ways? So there's the first one, the authorities will condemn him to death, and then they will kill him. Isn't that saying the same thing, but just different ways? I wonder why Jesus says those two things in different ways. Ways. Well, I think it might be. One possible reason is we could well be killed for our faith, you know, in Afghanistan or elsewhere in the world. That does happen. But we'll never, we'll never be condemned. For Jesus was the only one who faced the condemnation from the Father. And he did that so we never would be. It's that amazing? We read in Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And why is that? Well, as one of those who walked with Jesus, one of Jesus' early disciples, Peter, he later wrote, when he described in Jesus' death and the build-up to it, he said, when they hurled the insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus did not fight back, he didn't retaliate, but he gave himself over the judgment of God. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He was condemned by God for our sins, for our weaknesses, for our cowardice, for our shame, for all those times we've lived for ourselves. We've lived in that age of self-fulfillment, preserving our own comfort and our own reputation. He went to the cross for us. Peter goes on, he, he bore all those things. He bore our sins 
in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and then live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's the message of the gospel. Jesus died so we might live, so we might be healed. And that's the key. That's the only way we can overcome our fear. When we see that Jesus has dealt with our greatest fear already, our fear of death, he's defeated that on the cross. He's risen again to new life. He's enabled us to live this way, to live for righteousness, to walk with Jesus free from fear, to be healed of our fears. So to close, how should we live now? How, what does this look like for us? Well, in a few moments, we're going to have a chance to pray for those around us or in those in our connect groups. Um, but before we do that, I'm just going to have a little think about what this might look like for three different groups of people. And um, as I do that, if the band would like to come up, that would be great as well. But did you see the early followers of Jesus, as they were walking along, there's two different reactions they have as they walk with Jesus. In verse 32, the, some, the disciples, they're astonished, and those who followed were afraid. And I think this could be a description of us today. Some of us here might be astonished at Jesus' words, at this call. Some of us might be afraid, and some of us actually might be another A, might be apathetic, might be or maybe none of those three things, and that's also fine as well. But as we briefly go through these, do listen out, ask God, pray to God for his Holy Spirit to pinpoint where am I at in my walk with Jesus. So firstly, those who might be astonished. We are amazed, staggered, astonished by Jesus' call, take up our cross and follow him. But we might not know where to start. What does that look like in our lives? We might have a sense God's speaking to us about something, pinpointing a particular area of our life, Maybe it's about you know, denying a certain reputation in our workplace, in our friendship group, in our family, whatever that might be. But we don't know where to start. We can pray into that, pray the Holy Spirit bring clarity, boldness, and power. But some of us who might not be astonished so much, we might be more afraid. I'm maybe perhaps more in this category where we know that fear grips our hearts. Whether it's fear of the future or whether it's fear of just boldly standing for Jesus not knowing what the reaction will come back at us, the mocking, the teasing, the humiliation that may result from that. And we can pray as well into that, that the perfect love of Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross would drive out our fear, that fear that's gripping our hearts and holding us back. And finally, there might, not be, there might be some who don't really, maybe we don't really fit in either astonished or afraid. We just might be feeling a little bit maybe apathetic. We don't really know where we fit. And we, to be honest, we feel quite good about our lives. We feel like life's going pretty well. We don't feel we need any particular changes. And if you're bold and courageous enough to identify in that group, it'd be great to pray that the wonder of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, would excite us to take up our cross and follow him. That, and that is the only way to life to the full. So whatever group we're in, we're going to, in a few minutes' time later on, we're going to be praying into those things. But before we do that, let me pray. And then Rima and the band are going to lead us in a new song. And it's about walking with Jesus. Now Jesus is greater then at all. But let me pray before that. Father God, we thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, not just an example to follow, but the one who died for us, who was mocked, who was spat on, who was flogged, and who was killed for us. We pray that you would awaken our hearts, the wonder of the gospel again, afresh, right now. We pray that you would show us what it means to walk with Jesus, to take up our cross, and to follow him in our everyday life this week. I pray you fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to live for you in all aspects of our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen.